Welcome to It's In My Queue, the podcast where we talk about TV pilots. I'm Kara. And I'm Adina. And today we're talking about Futurama. Yeah, so after our little Shonda special, both of us were like, let's do a half hour show because all of those episodes were so long (laughs) and so so eventful. So we decided to um, give ourselves a little bit of a break this week discuss some I mean because those shows were great but they're also a lot so we thought we'd go to something a little bit shorter and a little bit lighter and I suggested Futurama because that's one of my favorites and we haven't done any animated shows yet so I thought that would be cool I mean I say it's one of my favorites but I actually think I've only seen Futurama through like once and I've rewatched maybe parts of it but not the whole thing but I just remember really really enjoying it that first time I did watch it through, which was several years ago. And I have very positive memories of it. Um, Have you seen it before, Kara? I don't know if I've seen it completely all the way through. I do remember I've watched a lot of it right after I got my wisdom teeth out. So I like (laughs) don't super remember it, but like it's one of those shows where you can kind of watch any episode and you'll Mm -hmm. still enjoy yourself. Yeah. I feel like this would be a good show to watch drugged up as well. <laughs> yeah, that that hence the the wisdom teeth. <laughs> yeah. Thing. And it's interesting you say that because it is true like this is an animated sitcom. You can pick up any episode and and enjoy it. But it does have more continuity than most sitcoms and even yeah. most especially most animated sitcoms I would say because like I feel like live action sitcoms they have this sort of status quo like you can watch any episode on its own but because they're live action and the cast ages like they do acknowledge the passing of time. But then mm-hmm. most animated sitcoms like Family Guy, like Bob's Burgers, like The Simpsons, they don't even acknowledge the passing of time. Like they might keep the characters in the present year, but the characters don't age. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Bart I, um... Simpson is still 10 years old after 30 years. <laughs> yeah. A show that also kind of does that, and another animated show that does a similar thing is Adventure Time, because the voice actor who played Finn was like a literal. 12 year old boy and since he was aging they had him age on the show that's interesting that's interesting Mm -hmm. and so Futurama it's less obvious because the characters are all adults so like it's not like you're watching them age and like grow up but time does pass they acknowledge time passing and they also do have sort of an overall narrative to the show it's not that obvious in the first couple seasons but by the end of the show it does like the characters end up in kind of a different place than they started which is different than most animated sitcoms and so I like it because I really enjoy when characters like develop like that and also there are some episodes of this show that are just like really really heart-wrenching in a good way and so I like it for that reason because that it makes it stand out from other sitcoms for me. But anyway just going to some general background for the show for uh, people who maybe have not heard much about Futurama. If you've heard it a little bit, but you haven't seen it, you might know like, oh, it's in the same style as The Simpsons, because it was created by Matt Groening, who was the creator of The Simpsons. And so if you've seen any of the show, you can tell it's in that same art style. The people aren't yellow, but other than that, the, the style, the design of the characters is the same. Matt Groening was asked by Fox to start developing another show while he was working on The Simpsons in the 90s. And he teamed up with David X. Cohen, who was also a writer and producer on The Simpsons. um, And they worked on developing this concept together based in sci-fi, based in the future. And in their own words, they say that they went a little overboard when they were developing this pitch. They developed a ton of characters, a ton of storylines before it was even a successful pitch. And Matt Groening described this process as by far the worst experience of his grown-up life. But... It still eventually, you know, got accepted. Fox agreed that they were going to make the show. But there was a little bit of conflict in the early days, apparently, because I guess Matt Groening had this kind of deal with Fox when it came to The Simpsons, where, like, he kind of had full control and didn't, the network didn't really get to meddle in the stuff he was writing. And I, I don't know exactly how he got that in the first place, but he had this kind of privilege of, like, I get to do whatever I want with The Simpsons. But then on Futurama, they said, actually, we want to have input. They had issues with some things in the pilot, specifically like the suicide booth that they did not like. And so that caused a little bit of conflict and tension because Matt Groening was like, I 
will not do this if I don't get full say. And then it apparently over the course of the first few episodes, they, they were kind of negotiating this and arguing about it. But eventually he did earn or he did negotiate for himself that full control again. So then for most of the show had that freedom to write whatever they wanted. So the name Futurama of the show, apparently it comes from a pavilion that was at the 1939 New York World's Fair, where it was this little booth called Futurama. And it was like this big dramatic like model of like a futuristic city. And it was supposed to be what the world would look like in 1959. And spoiler alert, that did not happen by 1959. It was like similar to what we see in the show where like everything's like chrome and rounded and there's flying cars and stuff. Obviously has not happened yet. They thought yet. that was going to happen in 20 years. I don't know. I mean, like, things happen fast. Like, everyone's always saying, like, oh, tech, like, everything's increasing exponentially. Like, in 20 years, it might be unrecognizable. So, like, I don't blame them. (laughs) Also, it was at the World's Fair. It wasn't, like, in a science journal. It was probably just trying to impress people. Anyway, so that's where the, the name came from. And obviously, so it's designed to be, it takes place in the future. It takes place in the year 3000, as we find out in the pilot. And as they were conceiving this futuristic world, they specifically decided they wanted it to be neither a dystopia nor a utopia because either of those two extremes they thought would get boring very fast. And I Mm -hmm. agree. I think that was probably a really smart choice on their part. So you don't see it a ton in the first episode, but as they expand the world of this future that they've built, they are very careful to show there's some stuff that's good and there's some stuff that's bad it's it's in a lot of ways like the modern day world it like some things really haven't changed that much even though there's new technology and i think that's smart because it makes it interesting and also allows them to comment on present day through the future you know yeah yeah so the show ran uh the first four seasons ran on fox from 1999 to 2003 and then it was canceled in the interim, they made four direct-to-video movies between 2007 and 2009. Each of those movies, again, it takes place in the universe of the show and moves the story forward. And then it got bought or it got revived by uh, Comedy Central and aired three more seasons uh, from 2010 to 2013. And then it ended after seven seasons. So a bit of a, a bit of a rocky journey, but the whole time even though it was not always beloved by the networks, it was very critically acclaimed the whole time and also has received a lot of awards attention. 17 Annie Awards nominations with seven wins, 12 Emmy Award nominations with six wins, and four WGA Writers Award nominations with two wins. So very much acclaimed in its time. Because it's animation, obviously that makes the production a little bit different than for a live action show. So Apparently, each episode would take anywhere between six and nine months to actually create from start to finish, which is oh, wow. a long time. And because, because of that, you know, they have, they have to have multiple episodes being worked on simultaneously. So the writers have to kind of front load the writing so that a lot of episodes can be animated at the same time. Mm. And it was animated by um, a studio called Rough Draft Studios. They would receive a script and create storyboard of over a hundred drawings and then create an animatic drawn by hand with 1000 frames for the whole episode and then they would send it to their sister studio in South Korea which would create the finished product of over 30,000 frames per episode. Wow animation is wild. Animation is wild. I have so much respect for that business. It is so intense and like but it's so worth it because the products that you can create with animation it's just it's different. It's, yeah. it's not better or worse, but it is so different and unique and worthwhile compared mm-hmm. to live action. And so most of it is hand animated, but they do use CGI for more complex sequences, including basically anytime you see the spaceship, it's CGI and the entire opening sequence, the title, the title credits is fully CGI as yeah. well. I have like a few other fun facts about the show and the style and whatnot, but I think maybe I can save those like until the end after we've already talked about the pilot. All right, so the pilot episode of Futurama, it is called Space Pilot 3000, which I like because it's more fun than just calling it pilot. It was co-written by Graining and Cohen. It was directed by Rich Moore and Greg Vanzo, and it aired on March 28th, 1999, which is interesting because it takes place on December 31st, 1999. So when this aired, it was actually like looking ahead 
to Y2K, which had not happened yet. Wow. <laughs> so you have to imagine it would be a little bit more dramatic for people watching it when it aired. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, obviously, you know, Y2K, whatever, we know it didn't happen, but there might have been some actual suspicions that crazy stuff would happen on on Y2K back when people were watching this for the first time. Yeah, when this came out, we were, I was a toddler, so. Yeah. Anyway, so the first thing we see is the title or super title says December 31st, 1999, letting us know when we are exactly from the start. And then we see this kind of like pixelated video game representation of space. And uh, voiceover says space. It seems to go on and on forever. But then you get to the end and a gorilla starts throwing barrels at you. And then we see that it's a video game. There's a little spaceship. And then there is a gorilla in space throwing barrels. And it defeats the spaceship. And it says game over. And then we, we zoom out and we see this guy, this red-haired guy, playing a video game on a little arcade console in a pizza parlor. There's a kid sitting next to him who's like, you stink, loser. And we can tell he's not good at the video game. But then he immediately gets yelled at by the guy behind the counter uh, who says, hey, Fry, pizza going out. Come on. This very Italian pizza parlor guy. So we learn our protagonist, his name is Fry. He takes the pizza because he is the delivery boy and he has to go deliver it. And on the pizza box, it says, Panucci's Pizza, do not tip the delivery boy. Oh my gosh. They like immediately set this guy up with the most unfortunate life. Yeah. It's really like the first like 30 seconds of this show is just really showing us his life sucks because he takes the pizza and he goes outside to get his bike to go deliver it. Like he doesn't even have a car to do deliveries. He has a bike. And as he walks outside, we see again, it is New Year's Eve um, and everybody else is partying, basically, Mm -hmm. except for Fry. He has to work. He has to deliver this pizza. So he gets on his bike and he's kind of groaning. He's clearly not happy about it. And he's biking along the sidewalk in New York City and uh, a taxi pulls up next to him and stops. And he's like, Michelle, what are you doing here? So... Or I think he calls her baby. So we, we get that it's his girlfriend. And she says, I'm, she's with another guy in the taxi, first of all, arm around him and says, Fry, I just don't think it's working out. I'll leave your stuff on the sidewalk and then drives off. Oh my God. <laughs> so he's also just gotten broken up with. Life really sucks. He's trying to finish his delivery. He's biking along the sidewalk going, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate my life. Just in case that wasn't clear. <laughs> He locks up his bike right outside the place he's delivering to, and then it immediately gets stolen by a guy with, like, a wire cutters. He comes along, steals the bike, and then he's just, like, Fry doesn't even, like, react to that. Cause yeah, he's just, just like, whatever. Also, I noticed that um, the little newspaper, when he was, mm-hmm. like, hanging up his bike, it, it said the New York Post, and it says 2000 doomsayers cautiously up the beat. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's like a lot all the of little... Mm-hmm drawings and things in the background yeah one thing that is kind of a staple of this show is there's many many jokes in the background in writing or just visual gags in the background and yeah there's always a lot of like bonuses from like if you pause it and read what it says there's always a lot of extra jokes so then he turns to the building where he's been told to deliver this pizza and it says it is um, an applied cryogenics lab And then there's a little sign on the door when he goes inside that says, no power failures since 1997. And the little, the seven is like papered over as if they're like updating it every year. So like three years since their last power failure, good for them. That inspires (laughs) confidence. Anyways, he, he cracks open the door and he's like, hello, I was supposed to deliver a pizza here, but it's very clearly abandoned. There is definitely nobody in there but he's like hello i was supposed to deliver a pizza to an ic wiener and then as soon as he reads it out loud he realizes oh this was a prank call he's also like super unfazed by like you know the tanks in the room yeah to have people in them yeah, he, like, goes over to one of the tanks, like, one of these cryogenics pods and, like, wipes the the frost off of it and looks at the face. And he's just like, oh, that's that's weird, whatever. He doesn't really react to it. <laughs> and then he just sits down at the desk in the middle of the room, this empty room. And he, he cracks open a beer and he starts eating the pizza because, like, honestly, I don't blame him for this. He's having a shitty night. He just got a prank call. No one's actually waiting for the pizza. Yeah. I would do the same thing. And he's just kind of, he's having a moment and he looks out the window and everyone else is celebrating and he's like, 
here's to another lousy millennium and he cracks a beer and then it is literally midnight um on new year's eve everyone is counting down and they show us this dramatic 10 second countdown to the new year and it like on every second it counts to or it cuts to um, a different country in the world, like counting in a different language, which is really cool. But also I was like, it wouldn't be midnight at all of those places at once. I was also thinking that. I was like, I love this, but also it would have passed already. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just, you know, to get the vibe of it, like everybody Mm -hmm. is celebrating that much, even if it's not literally at the same time. But it was funny given that they were trying to do it as like a live countdown. Anyway, so you see this dramatic countdown it's literally right on the new millennium and Fry, right as it reaches zero, Fry is leaning back in his chair um, and then he tips back in his chair, falls into one of the cryopods that's open and like falls into it, the door slams and the dial immediately goes to a thousand years. So he gets frozen for a thousand years. That is the the premise of this show that is like if you read i actually i should have looked up like the description of the episode but basically if you read the log line it would be like a delivery boy from new york gets frozen for a thousand years and ends up in the year 3000 like that is the premise and so it's good that we've gotten there after two minutes so as he falls into the pod he's frozen we see we go to the window and we see this little fast forward montage of those thousand years passing um so you can see like all the the buildings of the new york city skyline they like they get destroyed they get rebuilt there's aliens attacking they get rebuilt as like medieval castles then they get aliens attacking again and destroying them and then they get rebuilt in like this futuristic style so you you get the sense of like, wow, a lot really happens in a thousand years. There have been multiple historical eras that have passed. But then anyways, a thousand years, it it ends, the timer goes off, and then Fry steps out. He has defrosted. Apparently they have really, really made perfect cryogenics possible. So he just wakes up like nothing has happened and he's totally fine a thousand years later. (laughs) And he steps out of the pod and he goes he like sees out the window and he's like oh my god and he sees a little thing that says like new year's you know 29.99 and he's like it's been a thousand years my parents my co-workers my girlfriend i'll never see any of them again and then he goes yahoo <laughs> he's so excited because they showed us his life really 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 sucked before so sad so he's happy that he's actually escaped it and then we get our main titles so yeah so that's our cold open what do you think of of that we've talked about like you know how with other shows that like it's so interesting to see what the passage of time is Mm -hmm. in a cold open like um with mindy project we were saying that mindy went through basically from childhood to adulthood Mm -hmm. in the entire in the whole cold open and it's like we literally saw a thousand years pass in this cold open which is super cool i also love the way they did the little um time passing Mm -hmm. thing it was just cool to see, it was like interesting to see sort of how distinct it was and then all the little alien invasions <laughs> i loved that and it also it's like just kind of ticking faster it it's yeah yeah it's cool and i think the immediate sense like really quickly hammering home the fact that fry had a miserable miserable life to sort of like so like this isn't a tragedy him yeah Yeah, literally, I was about to say the same thing. It's so smart because, like, if you think about this premise, I mean, they wanted to tell a fish-out-of-water story with somebody from the present ending up in the future. And if you think about that, you know, for most people, that would be a significant tragedy, you know, if you get ripped away from your life and everybody you know. Like, even if the future is good, then that would be kind of horrifying. But they take such care to show that, like, he really had not a single thing going for him. Not one thing. Not one friend in the world. Not one thing he was good at. Nobody who would miss him and nobody who he would miss. So it's very important that they establish that in order for us to be able to be happy for him and for him to be happy in in order for us to be able to laugh at it as opposed Mm -hmm. to just being really, really sad. Although I will say, as the show goes on and develops, they don't shy away from exploring some of those more sad angles later on. But I think in the pilot, that would be a little bit too much and a little bit confusing because it is meant to be a comedy. So they want us to be able to to laugh at it right away. 
yeah, so then we get our main titles, which, as I said, it is completely uh, computer animated. The opening titles show, like, a spaceship driving around New New York. It's got a very cool and catchy theme song. Love it a lot. But then after our titles, we cut back to uh, Fry in the lab, and a, sci- a couple of scientists walk into the room, and they go, welcome to the world of tomorrow. And then the other guy is like, you don't have to be so dramatic <laughs> in a He's normal like, haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? <laughs> yeah, so it's like these two guys <laughs> where one of them's very into it, and the other guy is just very much not <laughs> And just like, and and it's funny. That's that's a good source of comedy. Yeah, apparently, like they have this whole system for people that wake up in the future and like how to integrate them into the future. And he, they take Fry and they kind of usher him towards um this fate reassignment officer who's going to tell you what your fate is going to be in the future. And he walks into the other room. He sees this woman in like a black like cat suit. And um, she's got this long purple ponytail. She looks very beautiful and she's facing the other way. And then she turns around and she has one giant eye instead of two eyes. And Fry has a little reaction to that because that is unusual. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then she just goes, oh, it's New Year's Eve. So let's decide your fate quickly so we can get out of here. And Fry's like, can I ask a question? And she says, yeah, if it's not about my eye. And Fry's <laughs> kind of, uh, he stops and then she goes, is it about my eye? And he says, no. And she goes, just just go ahead and ask it. And he says, what's with your eye? <laughs> He's not very nuanced. He's not very intelligent. Um, but anyway, <laughs> she explains that her name is Leela, and um, she is an alien, and that's why she only has one eye. And then she she tells him again that it's um the current date is December thirty first twenty nine ninety nine and Fry goes wow I was out for a million years <laughs> I literally wrote down bruh that's wrong <laughs> not correct zeros are hard <laughs> but yeah so they 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 take they make it very clear that Fry's not the most intelligent fellow right off the bat but that's okay and then he's kind of like this should be really upsetting to me but it's not because he had a shitty life before and so he's kind of mm-hmm. like all right I'm just gonna I'm gonna roll with this I'm I'm gonna enjoy it and then Leela is like don't worry here in the future you will be treated with dignity now strip and get on the probulator <laughs> and then so they show him like getting naked and then getting onto this weird little machine with like a lot of probes and it looks a little bit scary they don't really show what the machine actually does but it tests him or something. I don't know. It like scans his body. Anyway, then it cuts to he gets his clothes back yeah. on. Um, apparently, like it was scanning his DNA or something because there's this little. I laughed a lot at this. They had like a dot matrix printer printing out the results. So I was like, this is the future, but also with 1999 technology at the same time. Yeah, it's very fun. Like I couldn't fully tell if that was them trying to be self aware and be funny or like if that was just they were showing like a 1999 printer in the midst of all this. I don't know. It's funny. But it like spits out this little printed result. And apparently Fry has one living relative, his great, 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 great. And then they like cut away because she's listing a lot of greats, nephew. And his name is Hubert Farnsworth. I think she shows a picture at that point, right? Of Farnsworth. He's a very old man because Fry was like, oh, what's the little guy's name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's a very, very visibly old man. So so Fry is like, he's pretty hyped about this. He's like, I'm lucky. I'm going to meet my great, great, great nephew. Um, I'm getting a second chance at life. And this time I'm not going to be a loser. I'm not going to be a delivery boy. And then Leela reads off, okay, here's what the machine says is your destined job for the rest of your life. You're going to be a delivery boy. It's the job that you're best at. And Fry's kind of upset about this. And he's like, <laughs> what, if, what if I don't want it? What if I refuse? And then Ligo says, then you will be fired out of a cannon into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so we get the sense of this future is like a little bit authoritarian. Apparently everybody yeah. has to get assigned a job. And then you get a chip inserted into you that says what career you're supposed to do. And you have to do it for the rest of time, which kind of sucks. Yeah, and it's and then they have this like saying that's you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, yeah. Leela tells him lots of people don't like their jobs, but you have to do them anyway. And she points to this little poster on the wall that says, You gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, this was the first moment where I was like, damn, even in the future, it's just like it's like capitalism, but worse. 
Yeah, so a lot of the things they show in this show is, like, things have changed, but they also really haven't changed. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically she's, like, you know, hold out your hand, and she has this little scary-looking gun thing, this, like, injector gun that's gonna put the chip in him, and then he runs away, because he does not want to be labeled as a delivery boy for the rest of his life. That is is not what, what he wants to be. Um, and then Lila starts chasing after him. He runs into the other room and she's like, hold still. I don't have good depth perception. <laughs> and then he runs back into the room with all the cryopods and he's kind of dodging around her and he kind of trips her. So she falls into the pod and she's like, let me out right this se- second. I'm going to count to five, one. And then she freezes, <laughs> the pod freezes her. And the dial is set to a thousand years and Fry's like, ha ha, sucker, and he's about to run away. But then he stops because he realizes, like, if she gets frozen for a thousand years, maybe she would not be so happy to lose everyone she knows and everything she knows. So he feels bad. He walks back and he changes the dial so it says five minutes instead of a thousand years. So it'll give him a head start, but it will not rip Leela away from her family and everything. Yeah. And then he runs again. So Fry runs outside, um, and it's his first, like, entrance out into New New York, which is what they call the city. It is basically futuristic New York. And so it looks very different. You know, all the buildings are, like, rounded and futuristic looking. There's flying cars. And there's also, like, these tubes, these giant clear tubes everywhere um, where, like, people step into the tubes and then they just, like, fly you around the city. Very cool, but also very scary looking. Futuristic subway. Yeah, so he watches people, like, stepping into the tubes and then you, like, say a destination and then it, like, sucks you away. So he watches someone in front of him says, Radio City Mutant Hall, and then gets sucked away. And I have a a fun fact about this is apparently in the first draft, actually the, the first version of the pilot that they recorded, the guy who got into the tube said JFK Jr. Airport as his destination. But then John F. Kennedy Jr. died in a crash from his private plane, so they redubbed it to be Radio City Mutant Hall, but the original line was actually aired on TV because it happened before that. And oh, also wow. it'll be heard on like some of the international versions apparently, but they, wow. they changed it because it seemed in poor taste after that. But anyway, so then Fry, Fry follows this guy because he's kind of curious and he steps in and then he's just like, I don't know, Crosstown Express and he gets sucked away. We see this montage of him getting sucked through the tube all over the city. He's screaming the whole time. It goes up and down and it goes underwater and it's crazy, you know, sequence. Um, I love that everyone is kind of, like, staring at him, like, who's this guy screaming in the tube? (laughs) Yeah, then he finally gets spat out in, like, an alleyway, and he's like, whoa, that was awesome! And then some other guy's just, like, tourist. (laughs) So, yeah, so he really doesn't know where he is, but he sees something that looks like a phone booth, and he's like, okay, I'll, because he's from 1999, he's like, I'll go to the phone booth and I'll see if I can call my nephew. So he gets in line, there's actually quite a line for this phone booth. And it's moving a little bit at a time. Right in front of him, there is a robot. And he he bumps into the robot by mistake. And the robot is very angry and says, bite my shiny metal ass. (laughs) Which uh, grows to be a common catchphrase for him in the show. Uh, But we don't know that yet. Anyways, Fry gets into the booth. Actually, no, Fry was was ahead of of the robot. So Fry gets into the booth and he's like, we see on the outside it's labeled suicide booth we also see but we also see no one comes out of yeah (laughs) literally people are walking in and no one's walking out and not returning right we have learned is not the brightest bulb no um so he walks into this suicide booth it says 25 cents for a suicide and he's like oh dang it i don't have a quarter and he's not noticing any of the things that clearly indicate it's a suicide booth yeah he's um, just pressing the button he's pressing random buttons but he hasn't put in a quarter so it's not working yet so then the robot kind of busts in behind him and he's like oh man you're taking too long let me do this and he puts in a quarter to the slot but then he pulls it back out cuz he has a quarter on a string and he's like ha 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 and he he saved his quarter he's like yeah let's see if we can do this two at a time and fry still really has no idea what's going on the machine says, you know, welcome to the suicide booth. Would you like a quick and painless or slow and terrible? And then Fry says, I don't know, he says something he like says, this. I wrote it. He says, yeah. yeah, I'd like to place a collect call. Yeah. He's like still thinking it's just a phone booth. <laughs> and then the voice is like, you have selected slow and painful. And then 
a bunch of like terrible murder tools pop out like a bunch of saws and drills and things and the robot's like yeah bring it on and fry finally screams because at that point he finally realizes he's in danger oh my god oh poor sir um and then then we have an act break so you would have a little commercial to wonder if he's gonna be okay or not so then we we come back a minute later and the robot is like kill me already and then he turns to fry and goes by the way my name is bender <laughs> in the middle of all of this <laughs> and fry is terrified and he's like dodging all of the blades like trying to to dodge out of the way and they like they it's like a flurry of blades for a minute and then finally one more knife just comes out and they like twist the knife and then the voice goes you are now dead thank you for using stop and drop america's number one suicide booth since 2008 which I would like to point out, this was written in 1999. Yeah. But 2008, I wonder how they chose that year. Did they know there was going to be a huge economic recession? <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's why, that's like all the things, it's like all the things that the Simpsons like made as a joke that actually yeah. ended up being true. Like, is Matt it's Green that same thing? Just a, is he just like a prophet? I don't know. Oh my god. Anyway, yeah, that is disturbing. I, like, legitimately had a moment where I was like, I think this was written before 2008, but now I'm not sure. And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, my God, how did they know? Oh, yeah, wow. My goodness. Anyway, so so they make it out of the suicide booth, and they have not been killed. The robot, or sorry, we know his name is Bender now. He says, well, I didn't have anything else planned for the day, so let's go get a drink. Then we see, because a few minutes have passed now, uh, Leela gets out of the cryopod, and then the guys, the guy from before, it goes, welcome to the world of the future, and she just goes, shut up, Terry, because <laughs> apparently he does that to everyone, but- I guess no one likes Terry at work. I mean, he seems like it would be funny if you met him once, but he would be annoying to work with. Yeah, oh, I agree. I also, it, like, made me think the whole thing with the career chips. I was mm-hmm. like, how do you get lucky enough to, like, get that job? Because their jobs yeah. seem pretty okay. I was like, well, I yeah. wonder what it, like, I wonder what the, like, parameters are. Well, like, it's supposedly it it's you? what you're best at. So I guess mm-hmm. because that guy is really into doing the welcoming, that's how he got assigned to it. I don't know. It's one of those things you can't think about it too hard. So then we see Leela, she gets called into her boss and she gets yelled at by her boss for for letting fry go without getting his career chip and he's like you need to track that guy down and give him his his chip and she says i'm not sure if i want to he really didn't seem like he wanted his chip i don't feel good about doing that and then he says it's your job whether you like it or not you got to do what you got to do that you know that refrain comes in and then he also says it's my job to yell at you for doing your job and i like my job a lot <laughs> and then he laughs. <laughs> and then we cut back to fry and bender they are now at a pub i forget what it was called it was like ozorgulax or something i don't yeah, know ozorgnax is something with an yeah. o in the front so it's yeah. still irish yeah it was like irish plus like an alien name <laughs> And so they're drinking, and Fry's like, why would a robot need to drink? And then Bender says, I don't need to drink. I could quit anytime I want. And then he drinks a whole beer, belches some fire, and eats the bottle. Yeah, it's so interesting, because I feel like when I would think about the future, I wouldn't, like, expect a robot to, like, be able to consume things. So it's kind of funny that they have, like, a bit of an alcoholic robot that we meet. Well, it's funny because they actually do explain it as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, he drinks alcohol as his fuel, literally. And, like, mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense because, like, you can burn alcohol as yeah. fuel. So that kind of does make sense. It does check out. He doesn't actually eat food, but he d- he drinks alcohol. In fact, he has to drink alcohol to survive. But we don't learn that in the pilot. That's a, a later on thing. But then he's Fry's kind of talking about how he doesn't want this job and and asking Bender what he does. And Bender says, I'm a bender. I bend girders. I can bend, you know, in my heyday, I could bend a girder to any angle, 30 degrees, 32 degrees, 31 (laughs) degrees. And so you can tell he's like strangely passionate about bending metal to certain angles because that is his purpose in life. But he explains he could not go on living once he found out what the girders were for. And Fry's like, oh my god, what were they for? <laughs> and Bender says, suicide booths. So Bender's also having a bit of a crisis as well. And he wants to go and try and kill himself again because, you know, that's what he planned for today. But Fry stops him because he says, you're the only friend I have right now. And Bender's like, you, you really want a robot for a friend? And 
Fry says, only since I was six years old. Because <laughs> for him, it's like the fact that he can talk to a robot is like really, really cool. Yeah. So then Bender's like, okay, I'll be your friend, but I don't want anyone thinking that we're robosexuals. So I'm just going to tell people that you're my debugger. Then Leela appears outside. She is caught up to him and she sees Fry through the window and Fry also sees her. So he and Bender, they run. Leela calls for backup and she calls like on her little like walkie talkie and she's like, this is officer 1BDI, side note. Her code is 1BDI. Oh, I did not pick up on that. That's hilarious. A great example of the little detail jokes that they do. And then the officers that receive it are standing right next to her. And they go, okay, we'll be there in five minutes. All the stuff with the, um, as we are about to go into it, but all the stuff with the police officers felt so funny. Because it's yeah. just like, it, it's like, that's just, it feels like just how they are now. Yeah, just like incompetent, overzealous at the same yeah. time, like, not really thinking through what they're doing. So so Bender and Fry are on the run. They pass by a museum, and Bender says, oh, we can hide inside here. It's free on Tuesdays. Another fun fact that I, I read, obviously I did not figure this out myself, but apparently if you, like, calculate the, how the calendar is going to go in the future, December 31st, 2999 would be a Tuesday. Oh, Wow. <laughs> So wow. like it goes it goes to show again just how much detail these writers put into it like so many little jokes like that. So they walk into the museum and it's actually the museum of heads of famous people. They have found the technology to preserve the heads of celebrities and basically they're still alive forever but it's just their head and they don't have a body they can just sit there and talk so they meet the head of leonard nimoy aka spock and he's like fry's like oh what do you do all day if you're a head and and leonard nimoy is like um you know we we talk we give wisdom to anyone who wants to listen it's a life of quiet dignity and then the <laughs> attendant comes through and is like feeding time and put some fish food in his tank and then he's like the head has to like he has to like nibble at the food I also love how when uh, they walk in and they see Leonard Nimoy, uh, Fry goes up to him and is like, do the thing, the, like, oh, yeah. the thing with his hand, yeah. but it's a head. And so yeah. Leonard Nimoy is like, I don't do that anymore. Anyway, they have to go hide because Leela's catching up. Leela and the other, and the cops, they, they come into the museum and they're looking around and Fry and Bender are kind of hiding amongst the heads, like putting their little heads on the shelf to try and blend in. But Leela spots them. They are not in jars like the rest no. of the heads and chases after them. You know, Fry is trying to run away, but he knocks into this wall full of all the U.S. president's heads and he knocks Nixon loose and Nixon's tank smashes on the ground. And then he starts biting at Fry and attacking him and like biting onto his arm. And he's like, you just made my list. <laughs> and he's attacking Fry like a dog. And then the cops are, have caught up to them and start, they have these little batons that look like lightsabers, but they don't actually function like lightsabers. They don't kill you. They just, I mean, they're basically just batons, it seems like. And they start beating Bender and Fry and they're very over the top. And, and Leela's like, okay, hold on guys. Like you could take it easy. You don't need to go that hard. And then one of the cops says, keep your big nose out of this eyeball. And Leela says, no one makes fun of my nose. <laughs> I loved that a lot because I feel like they could have very easily made her very self-conscious about her one eye because mm -hmm. she's like literally the only person with yeah. this eye. Well, she's an alien. Yeah. Um, but they but they made it about her yeah. nose instead. Yeah, it's a which good I thought was funny. I also liked how um before the officer said that to her, um, she was like, He's just a poor kid from the stupid ages. And um, I know that this was in 1999, mm -hmm. but it really does feel like we're living in the stupid ages right now. Oh my God, we're in the <laughs> stupidest of ages. These ages are stupider than 99. I can yeah. say. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Yeah, true. Okay. So then anyway, Leela, she gets mad and she jumps in. She starts fighting the cops. And she's like a pretty competent fighter. She's like attacking them with her bare hands, but she's holding her own. And basically she distracts the cops enough that Fry and Bender are able to run away. They run through um, a door that says Hall of Criminals. And then Leela's like, why? It cuts back to Leela and she's like, why were you going so hard on them? And the cops say, like, we are, you know, we're peace officers, whatever. We're supposed to do this. You got to do what you got to do. So it's that, that theme again of, like, you have to do your job even if you don't want to. So Fry and Bender then, they have run into this room, but then they realize it's a dead end. They've closed the door, but they can't run back out the way they came because that's where Leela is. But the other side of the room, there's just this window that has bars on it. 
And so Fry is like, hey, Bender, how about you bend those bars so that we can go out the window? And Bender's like, I am only programmed to bend for constructive purposes. What do I look like? A D-bender? <laughs> <laughs> Which to us is very funny because it seems like the same thing. But I get like they set up this thing of like he's a robot. He, ha- he can only do what he's programmed to do. And what he's programmed yeah. to do is specifically bend girders for construction. He can't, again, it's like that you got to do what you got to do. That same thing. It applies for him as a robot because it's his program. But then as he's kind of talking to Fry, he takes a step and there's this exposed wire hanging down from the ceiling that zaps him on his antenna and it like electrocutes him for a minute. Apparently that's what he needed to um, be able to change his program. So then... He goes over the bars and he tries it and he, he bends the bars. He breaks them. He goes, yeah, from now on, I'm going to bend what I want, when I want, who I want. And he's yeah. very triumphant. And then his arms fall off. Oh, I think it's funny that mm-hmm. they went into the hall of criminals. So it's like presumably heads of mm-hmm. criminals. Yeah. And they're like, they've like put them in what looks like a cell. Yeah. But like, where are the heads going to go? I yeah. thought that was silly. I think it's just like thematic, I guess. Like, yeah. oh, here are the criminals. They're still in jail. I don't know. Bender finally manages to escape from his program, from what he has to do, um, and bend the bars, and it's triumphant. And that's our another act break. Then we come back. Bender is reattaching his arms because he's a robot, so it's very easy for him to just reattach his arms. It's not such a big deal. But right at that moment, Leela breaks down the door and she chases them into the room. Fry and Bender climb out the window and Bender then bends the remaining bars to kind of block the window so that Leela cannot follow them. And he's very triumphant. He's really enjoying the fact that he can now bend things for his own pleasure. They run down an alley and like there it's a dead end alley, but there's a sewer grate and Bender's like, oh, I guess someone's going to have to bend this grate. <laughs> and, but then Fry just opens it. it. It comes right out in his hand and Bender's disappointed. So they climb down the sewer, but then as they go, Bender bends it behind him just for fun because he's having a really good time. It's kind of cute. Anyway, they climb down into the sewer and it's not just a regular sewer. There's actually like a whole ruined city down there there's like all these dilapidated skyscrapers and stuff and fry's like oh my god what is this and bender explains it is the ruins of old new york so literally everything that we know of as new york um the new city is built on top of it so it all still kind of exists there underground um but it's very much ruined and crumbling so they're walking through it as they try to escape and fry's like oh my god this is my old neighborhood He's literally seeing the place that he lived like yesterday, like this morning, but it's ruined. And he walks by, um, I think it's Rockefeller Plaza, right? Yeah. Um, Where like the ice rink is. And he's like, oh, this is where I had my first date with Michelle. Um, And it flashes back to, you know, present day New York and him going on the date. But then it comes back to the future and it's dilapidated and it's now a giant lake with like this weird tentacle monster coming out of it. And then Fry has this moment where he's like, everything you know everything I knew is actually like gone and he's looking sad about it for for the first time I feel like the him seeing it is kind of what gets him because I think that beforehand when there wasn't like a visual reminder of what got what he left left Mm -hmm. behind it was more exciting but this time it's like wow I really have no one yeah and it might have thought like when he just saw the new version also maybe it was like oh, here's this new place that I'm in, but like the old place still exists in his mind. But now he's seeing the old place does not exist anymore. It has crumbled. Everyone has died. It is gone. It is inaccessible to him. So yeah, that kind of hits him for the first time. Then Leela catches up to them and and Fry's kind of like, you know, he's sitting, he's not really trying to run anymore, but Leela catches up and she comes over to him and says, you know, I understand how you feel. And Fry's like, how how could you possibly understand? I've lost everybody I know. There's nobody I there's there's no one who understands me. There's nothing from my life. And then Leela explains, I'm the only one-eyed alien on this entire planet. I was abandoned by my parents and I don't even know what galaxy they're from. Um, so then he's like, Oh, I guess I guess you do understand a little bit. <laughs> so then he gives up and he's like, you know, if you think it's best, give me the chip. Like I'll just, I'll trust you, I guess, because I don't really understand this place. Uh, he's about to surrender, but then instead of chipping him, Leela 
takes the back of her little chip gun and takes out her own career chip because they have this little thing on the back that's like the back of a hammer that like takes out your chip apparently (laughs) which seems very easy for something that's supposed to be permanent yeah Hmm. (laughs) but anyway she pulls out her own chip and she's like i i've wanted to do this for a long time but i never realized i wanted to quit until you came along so thank you and then they have this tender tender moment where they shake hands and then Bender just kind of puts his hand on it, too, and ruins the moment. <laughs> and and Leela's like, hey, what are you doing? And then she notices that Bender stole her ring, and then she demands for it back. And then they're like, what do we do now that we're all jobless? We're job deserters, and we have no money. And then Fry says, well, I've got a relative to mooch off of. And then he holds up the little paper with his uh, his nephew's information. So that's their new goal. So now, yeah, Fry and Bender and Leela, they all go to find this Professor Hubert Farnsworth. We see him asleep in his chair, and on his TV, there's Dick Clark's head running Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve on TV. So apparently he's still doing his thing a thousand years later, doing his New Year's Eve thing. Then the three of them show up uh, and greet Farnsworth, and he says, hey, it's your Uncle Fry. And Farnsworth just, he's kind of like, okay. And then he just says, let's sit down, let's test your DNA. He has this little finger testing DNA machine in his house and he goes wow it's incredible absolutely incredible we're actually related and one of my favorite lines is like bender's like can we have some money and farm's oh, yeah. like oh my no yeah i just yeah. like i just like hit um the professor in general yeah he he's very funny his introduction to his space is then he shows them around he's like oh, i'll give you the tour here's my lab table here's my work stool here's my intergalactic spaceship and here's where i keep assorted lengths of wire <laughs> <laughs> and, and then Fry's like, whoa, like, you have a spaceship? Can we, can we talk more about the spaceship? And the, the professor's like, oh, yeah, what, whatever, but I really want to show you my wire. Yeah, he's like, I designed the ship myself. Here's all the different wire I used. <laughs> um, he's just obsessed with his wire, and I love it. Um, yeah, but then the cops are knocking down at the door because there's, like, job deserters, and they're like, um, professor, can we, like, can we, can we get in that ship and run away because they're trying to arrest us? And then he's like, okay. So they all get into the spaceship. Fry immediately starts pressing random buttons, which is a very bad idea. He does not know what he's doing, but luckily nothing bad happens. He just makes like a cup of coffee appear. Um, And the professor's like, he apparently he doesn't drive it either. But he's like, does anyone know how to drive stick? (laughs) And, And then Leela says, I do. So she gets into the pilot seat. She gets ready for takeoff. And then we have another montage of countdown, New Year's countdown, because it's right on midnight again. We see, again, it cuts to different places around the world or around the galaxy, I guess, um, of people counting down the last 10 seconds. And this time it's different earthly languages, but then there's also a couple shots with like aliens, um, counting in alien languages to show us it's the future. And then right at midnight, the fireworks go off and then the, the ship takes off. And we have the cops outside with laser cannons ready to shoot them down. But the thing is, because all the fireworks are in the air, they can't see the ship and they can't aim properly. So basically they're able to get away. Yeah, so so they they make it out into space and they kind of have this moment where Fry's like, okay, this is really cool, but you know, if are we going to be fugitives for the rest of our lives if we don't have career chips? Like, are we just going to have to run forever? And then the professor says, hey, actually, like, I need a new crew for my spaceship and I have their old career chips so I could hire you if you're willing to be my new crew. And they're like, what happened to the old crew? And he just, he's like, oh, you, you know, um, uh, don't, don't ask about it. But then he has this little, <laughs> this little envelope that says contents of space wasps stomach. And then he, <laughs> then he takes out their chips from that envelope. <laughs> so Aww. not a great fate for the, the rest of the crew. So then Fry, Fry is very excited about it, honestly. He's like, I'm going to work on a spaceship. Like, does this mean we're going to be like going around the galaxy, fighting evil, you know, fighting aliens? And then the professor's like, even better, you're going to be transporting cargo all around from one galaxy to another. And Fry's like, wait, does, does that mean I'm, I'm a delivery boy? <laughs> <laughs> and the professor's like, yep, you will be a delivery boy. But then this time Fry thinks about it and he goes, all right because this version is honestly better he gets to be in a spaceship he doesn't have to be on his bike delivering pizza 
it's much more of an adventure than being a delivery boy in New York City. Yeah. So it's like an ironic ending because like that's what he was running away from and it's where he ended up, but it is also better. It's a new start for him. And that's the end of the episode. That is that is the premise of the show and then i guess it's not really a spoiler to say that from now on the show becomes about fry and leela and bender being the crew of this you know intergalactic delivery company the professor is their boss they go on these missions to deliver stuff and then they get into shenanigans along the way that is our pilot episode now i guess we can start talking about it as a whole what do you what are your impressions from that there are a lot of things that like i guess i wouldn't have picked up on if i were just you know like watching this I mean, like, as I said, I watched this for the first time, not for the first time, because I'd seen other episodes, like, just Mm -hmm. randomly on TV, but, like, I watched it more significantly right after I'd gotten my wisdom teeth out, Mm -hmm. so I wasn't really paying attention, it was just on, and I was enjoying myself, but there are, like, things I noticed, so the thing that stuck out to me just now, when you said how it was really easy for Leela to just take her chip out, I thought to myself, I was like, well, why did no one ever think to do that before? But it's because of the way they just hammer into your head. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And I keep saying that. And I think that bringing in Fry, this dude who has no clue what's going on, and that's like not really how 1999 works. It's just that he <laughs> happened to be unfortunate mm-hmm. in his like job and stuff mm-hmm. at that point. Um So he doesn't understand this concept. So it like takes this outsider, like showing that there's like maybe some other way to live than just you got to do what you got to do. And I also, so I like that um, Fry, Leela, and Bender are all kind of struggling with that through the first episode. Yeah, I really like that because I didn't even really put that together until you said it. It's so smart because it's so easy on like a fish out of water story to make it all about Fry and to make it all about him adjusting to the future. But it's really, really smart how they also made it so that, you know, for him, the catalyst is getting sent to the future. But for the other two characters, the catalyst is meeting Fry and him questioning their way of life. Like Leela never even thought about quitting until Fry came along and said, you know, why, why you, why don't you quit? And Bender would have never thought about questioning his program because that's literally what he's programmed to do and everyone in the future is like obviously robots have to do what they're programmed to do until fry came along and was like why not change it you know why not bend whatever you want so it it's really nice and it shows it helps the characters bond right away it kind of catapults them all into this story together so they all have something to work towards and it also helps us like care about fry a little bit and see the value in fry even though he's kind of an idiot and a loser he's good-natured and he kind of questions things because he's a little bit stupid, he questions things that other people wouldn't question, which kind of makes him smart. Yeah, that's why I feel like that's why I liked him so much. It's because mm-hmm. he's like really dumb, mm-hmm. but it's like one of those things where it's like sometimes dumb people will say something really smart. Yeah. Like yeah. something that like it like sounds stupid when they say it, but then you sit there and think about it and you're like, Oh, I feel like that's kind of the vibe I got from Fry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He he has his own strengths, even though he's very much dumb. Yeah, so I guess we can also talk a little bit more about the show as a whole in a meta sense. Apparently, um, in the DVD commentary for this episode, Matt Groening talks about how starting any series is difficult. Obviously, like, that's that's what we talk about on this show, how pilots, you know, they have to set up everything and it's not easy. But yeah. he found this one especially hard because of how much setup was required just to explain how we get into the future, you know? And it's true that this this pilot, I think it is very good, but, like, not you don't get quite as much happening between the characters in this pilot because most of it is just trying to get us through that setup. Like you don't Mm -hmm. really get to see the character dynamics and what the show really looks like until the next episode. But I think it still is very effective and it is the way they needed to start the show because like otherwise you would just sort of question what's going on and you wouldn't understand the premise, I guess. I didn't mind when watching it that we didn't really like see much more character interaction than we did because Mm -hmm. I because it is like the future I wanted to see what the future was like Mm -hmm. um so I and I feel like the things that they did show us between the characters were incredibly deliberate and like Mm -hmm. thought out so that 
like so I get the mm-hmm. future and I get a little taste of what we're gonna see later mm-hmm. um it's like enough to make me want to keep watching yeah also this is some things that you absolutely would not notice on first watch and I'm going to be careful about how much I say because I don't want to spoil it for people that might watch the whole show Graining said they very deliberately as as part of that trade-off they very deliberately put in a few details on easter eggs in the pilot that they knew would not pay off until much much later that have to do with the plot of the show later on so because they were planning a lot of this from the outset like they said they kind of went overboard for a pilot they put in a couple of details that are very small details that you would never ever notice on first watch that tie into some major plot developments later on but they are in this pilot they have a lot of things in this show details that were very thought out planned out in advance and it's something that like you it's something that I really came to appreciate about the show as a whole obviously it's not something that I was noticing all these easter eggs as I was watching because they're very detailed very easy to miss but it gives a richness to the show especially to being a fan of the show because I didn't learn most of these on my own I learned them from reading about it online but when you when you make a world that's that rich and that detailed it gives people things to talk about and it Mm -hmm. gives people incentive to look really deeply into your show because you're creating more things for them to find. So I think it's a really, maybe not everybody likes that, but a lot of people find that very engaging and it's a good way to cultivate a very deep fan base. Yeah, also, as we said, some like other hallmarks of the show um, that become staples of it are they have a lot of background gags, um, you know, not just like the things we mentioned in this episode, but also they created like multiple different like alphabets and languages um, for background gags. Like there's one that you see a lot that they call alienese. That's just like, these weird looking like symbols it is basically just the substitution code um for english and like you can you can find the key of it online but like they have background gags that are also written in alienese and not in english which is pretty cool they have a lot of like math and science jokes throughout the show because actually the writing staff but the the main writing staff of the show between them they had three phds seven master's degrees and cumulatively more than 50 years at harvard wow Um, so one of the writers was quoted as saying, we are probably the most overqualified group of cartoon writers in history, <laughs> which, you know, is probably true. But anyway, like they used their, a lot of them had like degrees in math or physics or other things, and they used that to infuse into the show a lot of the sci-fi concepts they have, although they are, you know, ridiculous futuristic, a lot of them are somewhat based in actual science. So if you are someone who knows about those topics, you might see a lot of jokes that you'll get and appreciate. Also, one thing that I find really cool is there's an episode later on in the show where one of the writers actually created a whole math theorem just to solve the plot of the episode. And it actually like literally made up a new math theorem to explain the plot of the episode. And it's like, I don't know if you remember this one. It's the one where they have the machine that swaps minds into the bodies. And it's like, you can swap your mind into someone else's body, but you can't swap back the same two people after you've done it. Oh, you know, that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, so they they had to create a whole theorem to explain how many new people would you have to add into the scenario in order to get everyone's minds back into their own bodies if you can't swap the same two people twice. Wow. And one of the writers literally solved it and made a whole proof for it. That's dedication. Yeah, it's really cool. I love that. It's really, really cool. The takeaway from that is not like you need to be a mathematician or a scientist to write a show. I think the takeaway is whatever else you are passionate about and knowledgeable about in your life, uh, you can bring that into your writing. And even if not everyone's going to get it, like not everyone's going to see that math theorem and understand it, but anyone can appreciate it, can appreciate that level of detail and care. So do use what you know, I guess. Yeah, that like makes it, it makes those sorts of things stand out more. It makes your writing more unique. And that's like, yeah, that's one of the things that's very unique about this show. I mean, it's not the only show that has math and science jokes, but it is one of the things that makes it notable and unique. Also, I found regarding the fact of like this show being compared to The Simpsons, because I will say like before I had seen it, I had this impression in my head that like because it was the same creator and the same style, I thought it was going to be like The Simpsons, but in the future. But it's really not. It's actually very different in style. So I would, I would encourage anyone, even if you're not the biggest fan of The Simpsons, I mean, if you are, that's great. But even if you're not, I would still encourage you to maybe try Futurama. Um, and I found this really good quote from a critic, Frank Lo- Lovice, Loveche, 
on the difference between The Simpsons and the Futurama in terms of their style of humor. And he wrote, The Simpsons echoes the strains of American-Irish vaudeville humor, the beer-soaked sneaking in late while the wife's asleep comedy of Harrigan and Hart, McNulty and Murray, the four Coens, ultimately about the bonds of blood family. Futurama, conversely, stems from Jewish-American humor, and not just in the obvious archetype of Dr. Zoidberg. From vaudeville to the Catskills to Woody Allen, it's that distinctly rueful humor built to ward away everything from despair to petty annoyance. The you-gotta-do-what-you-gotta-do philosophy that helps the Futurama characters cope in a mega-corporate world where the little guy is essentially powerless. Hmm. And I was like, dang, that's profound. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. And also, like... As someone who is both Irish and Jewish, um, I like, I see that. I see that. Because like, yeah, The Simpsons and like a lot of more traditional family sitcoms, I think all kind of follow a certain formula where like the humor is very much based in like the family unit is the status quo and the humor is like, ah, you can't live with them. You can't live without them about your family. You hate them, but you love them. And yeah, and this show is not so much about family. The only actual family members on the show are Fry and Farnsworth, but honestly, they don't even have that much of a connection because they didn't really grow up knowing they were family. So they don't totally feel like a family either. But then the crew kind of has this sort of found family kind of. I love a found family vibe. But they aren't family. So the, the conflict is less about family and it's more about them against the world. Like this, like Frank said in this quote, I can't say his last name. I don't know how it's pronounced. As he said in this quote, it's more about, yeah, the struggle of being that, you know, small individual in the big world and this world that has become a galaxy, an intergalactic world of mm-hmm. the future. And I just, I really liked that quote. I, it rang true for me. I feel like I, I like that a lot. Because as I, as I said, I love a found family vibe. But I feel like this is another instance of characters that wouldn't necessarily have found their way to each other in other mm-hmm. circumstances. Yeah. And now that they are together, we get to see what that's like and see them kind of like learning and growing yeah. with each other, which I love. Yeah, I do too. And there's, in fact, there are a few other main characters of the show that kind of are part of the main crew that they don't, again, they don't try and cram them into the pilot because there's not quite enough time, but you get to meet a couple more essential characters in the next couple episodes. And yeah, they do, they very much show us what happens when these characters come together. And another thing I really like that I'm going to say without trying to spoil is that even though these characters do all come together seemingly randomly in the pilot they in later episodes they kind of pull back and reveal that maybe there was a lot of connections between the characters before they even met in the pilot and Mm -hmm. really deepens the universe that way so it is something interesting if you keep watching to see how they reveal the even deeper connections between the characters that they didn't even know i guess the other thing that i'll just say about the show as a whole is like, cause it had that whole, like it got canceled and then direct to videos and then it got revived. It's something where like, you might not notice it as you, if you just watch it, you binge it all and you don't think about it. It's not like there's a very noticeable difference between the show in its different iterations. But the thing is when they had that cancellation and those direct to video movies, to me, that's when the show really starts to deepen. Like, they had a couple of episodes in the first four seasons that were already kind of showing the past and getting more deep and emotional. But when they had those movies, they, like, that's when they really started to go. And one of the movies kind of specifically focuses on, it gives the backstory of how Fry really ended up in the future. And I I won't say what it is, because that spoils the whole thing. But that's, to me, when they started adding a lot more of that depth and continuity to the show. And then Mm -hmm. the last three seasons kind of keep leaning into that. And the finale of the show, I, again, I've only seen it once, but I remember it had like a very profound effect on me. It's one of the really good sitcom finales, in my opinion. They really do justice to like these characters and what they've been through. In my opinion, I think it's very much worth watching all the way through in order. Yeah, I I actually don't think I've like seen the last few seasons. I feel like the wisdom teeth thing I got through like the beginning bits really mm-hmm. quickly and then stopped mm-hmm. but it was it's one of those things where I don't remember where I was yeah so I probably could pick up at a random point and be okay yeah but it seems There's... like one of those things where I just kind of want to start from the beginning again anyway mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I feel like my experience with it was I started from the beginning and then I got kind of tired in the middle because sometimes if you watch too much of a sitcom, it feels just like too much. Not because yeah. it's bad, but just because you get a little overdosed on it. And so I think I took a brief break in the middle, but then plowed through the end. And then I was really glad that I had watched the whole thing because like I said, it does, like it's funny the whole time. Like it's, it's definitely an amusing show to watch at any point. Um, but also it does have sort of an emotional payoff to it. And I don't think there's too much more to say without outright like spoiling the show, but it's a, it's very funny. It's very amusing and it's maybe not for everybody, but I think it is, you know, definitely it could be entertaining to a lot of people, even if you're not a big math or science person, like I don't want to turn anybody off. Cause it's not like you need to know those things to enjoy the yeah. show. It's like, there's like some extra Easter eggs in that realm, but like, it's still very much funny, even if you're not big into like physics and math so yeah it's uh it's a very very funny show and honestly a wholesome show as well um you might find yourself tearing up at points when you do not expect it this this is just a fun thing that i enjoy which is um you know how you know that thing of how all the voice actors voice all the <laughs> things because the the actor that voices bender also mm -hmm. voices jake the dog on adventure oh, yeah. time oh yeah i did know that yeah john dimaggio voice actors very multi-talented always have a lot of diverse roles wow that was so pleasantly short <laughs> <laughs> I know. it's always so wild when we do a shorter show i mean yeah. this didn't happen with mindy project because we went on many we had a lot to talk about <laughs> um but it's always wild when we wrap within yeah. like an, a little over an hour thanks for listening we want to hear from you now if you have any thoughts about the futurama pilot you'd like to share with us or suggestions for shows we should watch you can email us at it's in my pod at gmail.com and in case you want to prepare for the next episode discussion with us the next pilot we will be watching is single parents so go ahead and watch or rewatch that pilot episode so you'll be ready for our thoughts on it next week. If you liked what you've heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter at InMyQPod or on our personal Twitters. I am at Adina Terrific. And I'm at Kara underscore Powell. Thanks for listening, and we hope we've helped you clear out your queue.